Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works and they want to know what works now with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Chris Daly, and we're going to explore conversion rate optimization for your online forms. What is that, you ask? Well, it's all about testing what works so that you can get more leads and more subscribers. And trust me, you're going to want to listen to this episode. If you want to reach me, you can email me at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? This week I found a great tool for Twitter and Instagram called Crowdfire. Tell me more. All right. Well, it's a web app that also has an iOS app and an Android app. And what you can do with it is that you can publish to Twitter and Instagram. You can engage with your followers there. You can clean up your followers even and unfollow or follow more interesting people based on keywords. You can even schedule the best times to publish on both those networks. How do you schedule the best time? You mean it tells you the best time? It does. Yeah. It gives you the, you know, here based on our statistics, this is the next possible time for you to schedule and so on and so on. So it must be analyzing your particular account in order to come up with that, I guess, right? Yes. And, and I suspect a little bit like Twiriad does where it analyzes your followers and when they are most active online. So have you tried this out? And if so, what's been your experience? I've tried it out and I've found it to be a pretty slick interface and I have found that, you know, scheduling and finding uh, people by keyword. I mean, it, it's, it's, if I type in like the words productivity or social media, it brings up people that I think it should uh, bring up. And so ha- more, more often than not, I'm finding some interesting people to maybe follow. Now, how does, it, how does it do the Instagram scheduling? So what this does is it walks you through the process of creating the content for Instagram on your phone and then allows you to save it in a hopper there, if you will, that will then ping you at that scheduled time to go post it because Instagram's API doesn't allow scheduling. So the most anybody can do is get you set up and ready to go and then tell you, hey, it's time to go push go on that. And as far as the, you said it was an app for your phone for uh, Android and iOS, and it's also a web-based app. Uh, What is the pricing structure? 
the pricing structure is that it starts off as free and you get some of the bells and whistles like you get a you get a linked account and you get a couple other things and then as you go up the next tier is 599 and it lets you have multiple accounts multiple it lets you have some team members and some some white lists some black lists and then it keeps going up from there with more you know, higher numbers of all the different bells and whistles. Awesome. Why don't you tell us again the name of the app and where we can find it? Yes, it's called Crowdfire, and you can find it at crowdfireapp.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's brand new interview with Chris Daly. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. Today I'm joined by Chris Daly. And if you don't know who Chris is, he is the vice president of site testing and optimization at Disruptive Advertising, an agency that specializes in site testing and analytics. Chris's clients include some pretty big brands that you're probably familiar with, like Fandango, Lids.com, and Citrix. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Michael. I'm excited. So today, Chris and I are going to focus on something you may have heard of called conversion rate optimization, split testing, and we're really going to focus on how to optimize your opt-in forms, those those forms that you have on your website to capture leads or to grow your email list. And uh, I'm really stoked because Chris has been helping Social Media Examiner. And uh, I'll share a little bit more about what uh, we've been doing uh, a little later. But first, Chris, let's start with how the heck did you get into this space? Yeah, so it, it was kind of an accident. Probably 10 years ago, I didn't even know what conversion rate optimization was. Um, so I, I got my start driving traffic to websites using SEO, PPC, social media. Uh, and the company I was at, we were really trying to figure out how to monetize that traffic. I think it's a common problem that people have when you're driving any kind of traffic to your website. And we, we were just having a really difficult time getting people to convert. And nobody at the company I was working at, uh, at uh, knew how to do conversion rate optimization. So I kind of picked it up as a pet project and started running some tests. We started to see a lot of success, and I just completely fell in love with uh, the industry. I, I was so excited to see how some of these seemingly small changes could have such a big impact on the user behavior on the site. Um, so what were, what were some of the things you were doing for that company, and what was the reaction in the beginning? 
<laughs> so it, it actually wasn't received very well initially. Um, we were uh, so again. I, I was managing most of the traffic efforts, the driving traffic through, uh, you know, through SEO, PPC, social media. And um, when I proposed that we run some tests on the site design, the designers um, pretty much boycotted the entire thing. I mean, uh, nobody thought that there was anything wrong with the designs. We'd invested a lot in our site design. Um, and which is a, a common tale that I hear time and time again. People invest hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or entire teams of resources into their site design. Uh, and so when I proposed that we make some changes to it and that we test different changes, uh, there, there weren't very many fans. Um, and after I ran our first phase of tests and, uh, and we saw some decent increases, I mean, we saw you know, 10 to 15% lifts in, on some of the pages. Um, there was still a lot of backlash. People were saying, wait, that we're going to, we're going to do that. We're going to remove our images. That's part of the design, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so our, our culture wasn't, hadn't adapted to the idea of data driven design on a site. So I def, it was definitely an uphill battle initially. Um, and over time the company warmed up to the idea, but, uh, it, yeah, it, it wasn't an immediate, um, well, and you know what's amazing that. about this now is this is a big deal because, and I, I want you to define what conversion rate optimization optimization is and why it matters. But I want to I want to set the stage for you, folks that are listening right now. We are in a decline in traffic to our website because it's harder to rank in search. There's algorithms that are stopping or reducing the amount of traffic that is coming to our website. And it's a reality. And these algorithms are only going to get more difficult to figure out. And we're going to see declines in traffic. So if there is some way we can do something to increase the things that matter for the business, then we really ought to be doing it. And that's why I've got Chris on the show. So that's the good setup, Chris, for you to explain what the heck is conversion rate optimization and why does it matter? Sure. Yeah. And and without diving into uh, too much depth, I mean conversion rate optimization is basically a, a scientific way to figure out what uh, your audience wants to see on a website in order to convert. So it really matters a lot. I mean, it's, it's probably, I would say it should be half of any digital marketer's focus. Um, because if all you're focused on is driving traffic to the site, uh, you are, you're, you're missing half of the battle because you know, I had just assumed for a long time that if I drove good traffic to a site, that it was just going to convert. That was just a given in my mind. Uh, and what I've found out after years of testing is there's a large portion of your audience uh, that is not going to convert unless you give them the experience that they're looking for. And so conversion rate optimization is a way of testing in different ideas, different concepts onto a site to figure out what your audience actually wants to see in order to convert. And... Um What's exciting about it is it's data-driven, as you mentioned earlier. It's pretty much like science experiments almost. It kind of it kind of takes me back to lab tests, you know? It <laughs> and, does, yep. And it, and it really can make a difference. Um, before we started working with you, Chris, we were getting maybe six to 700 email subscribers a day opting into our site. We're now pushing above 1,000 a day. 
just by running lots of these little experimentations and tests and the kinds of things that you would never think would make a difference are making a difference. And, and the fun thing about running these tests is you can start employing some of these things across the board and the results can be significant, uh, for the business. And in our particular case at social media examiner, you know, we have as of this recording, almost 520,000 people on our email list. And that is a really important metric for our company, which is to grow that list because when we provide uh, valuable content to people multiple times per week, they begin to love us and ultimately warm up to some of the things we have to offer, like our conference, Social Media Marketing World. So one of our key business metrics is to grow that list and just little tweaks have made all the difference in the world. So um, what I want to do for pretty much the remainder of this podcast is kind of zoom in on things that we can do to optimize the forms that we have on our website. And um, before we talk about it, I just want to give some people some perspective of the kinds of forms that we could potentially optimize. So um, we're talking about pop-up forms. We're talking about the little sliders that might slide in at the bottom of an article. We're talking about... um, different forms on mobile. Um, We're talking about exit intent forms that pop up as people are leaving. We're talking about sidebar forms. We're talking about just all sorts of different potential places where people opt in. And any of them really can be optimized and should be optimized. So um, having said all that, you know, where do we start? Because forms make the perfect sense, you know, to, to begin experimenting with. And there's so many things we could do. But where do you recommend your clients start testing? Yeah, and I think you brought up a perfect case study for us to review. Uh, so, Michael, you and I sat down uh, a, a little while ago and, and we went through this exercise together. And, and so maybe um, maybe we can use that as, a, a, as an example. Um, so the, the first things that I typically suggest when we're doing form optimization, whether it's opt-in forms or lead generation forms or, frankly, even checkout forms, um, is I, I like to look at the types of things that are going to draw attention to the form. So anytime there's other content on the page, uh, and, and social media examiners' forms are a perfect example, there's a lot of other content on the page uh, there's other things that are competing for the attention of the form. So you want to look at, at the things that are going to draw attention to the form. And so those are typically uh, imagery, colors, uh, and, and font sizes. So uh, you know the, the reason those things jump out the most, first of all, images attract attention automatically. We, we are, uh, you know, we are, we are evolved people that, and our brains have formed around images, around drawing visual context from things. And so images make a really big uh, deal in connection with a form. Um, Colors for the same reason, uh, being that whether or not, uh, you you know, a a call to action contrasts the rest of the page can really determine how much attention it gets from, from your eye. And so, um, and so I typically look for, uh, you know, you want to make sure that your form stands out, that it, it's contrasting the page, and then that the image or lack of image um, is helping your users. Well, let's zoom, in, let's zoom in on each of these, okay? Let's talk about the image. Um, and we can use us as an example, but as you're, listening, as you're listening to this, you can be thinking about how this could work for you. Um, 
we use Optin Monster, but you know, there's bazillions of other um, web-based forms providers out there, like lead pages and everything else you could possibly imagine. But most of them provide the option for you to pop an image in there, right? So um, in our case, we do you remember what it used to be? We had no image actually, and um, why don't you talk? Do you remember, or do you want me to talk about it a little bit? Uh, why, why don't you give some quick okay. background? So, and I can- yeah, so this was a, this was the form that popped up on the page when you first arrived, okay? And we had, I believe, no image on there at all. And you recommended trying a couple different variations of images. You recommended um, uh, an, a, a graphical uh, representation of the words of what we were giving away. You also recommended a um, like a book because we were giving away a, um, a report. You recommended we use like the cover of the report as one of the images. And then you also recommended something a little bit outside of the ordinary, which was some some um, kind of innocuous graphics. Do you remember that? Kind of like some part pie charts yep. and stuff like that? Yep. So um, first of all, why did you recommend coming up with that variation of images? And then we can probably talk about what the winner was because it was quite intriguing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So uh, the first thing that and that, that I suggest when you go to test images is you want to have different enough ideas. So usually when people start thinking about image testing, people just immediately start thinking of, oh, well, we could have a guy in the picture, we could have a girl in the picture, uh, we could have a computer, a picture of a computer. Um, and, and those really aren't very different, right? I mean, you're not testing different types of concepts. And so when we sat down to look at adding an image to this form, um, the, the, the concepts that I wanted to hit were, okay, let's think about the different types of images that might attract a user. So obviously the cover, the, the, you know, the cover of the actual offer made a lot of sense because that, uh, that gave them a visual representation of what they were going to be getting. So images help people to draw context. And so, uh, but, but they also distract. And so um, Which is part of the reason why I had gotten rid of the image. Yes. So they, they help people draw context if it's a good image. And if it's a bad image, then it distracts. And so you want to think through, okay, what are some other things that we can do to help people draw context? And so, you know, one, the, the next idea that we, you know, that we went through, we obviously we did a picture of the actual offer. We did a graphical representation, which was just words. It was basically a, a, a nicely designed yeah. title. And then the final, the final version was, like you said, a more of a, an icon type of, of, of approach. And, and again, the, the reason. Yeah, and then the last one, and by the way, the winner was the one that you least expected, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And, and the, again, the idea behind the icon was we want something that's not super distracting, but helps add some context. Um, yeah. And, and just to give a, a kind of a verbal picture it was um, it was kind of a just a square with some cool lines and charts and su- very subtle, just to kind of indicate that there's data that you're going to get access to, yep. you know, and um, that one performed by a long shot and it was awesome. Um, so, you know, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but, you know, um, when we do a split test, um, do you recommend that we just start one thing at a time because this is the part that like I was inclined to be like, okay, I'm going to add the graphic. I'm going to change the headline color. I'm going to do all this in one swoop, but you kind of advised against that. Why is that? Yeah. And, and so 
I, I will advise different things in different circumstances. And in this particular circumstance, there were, you know, we're talking about just one form, right? We're talking about, uh, there's, there's basically four elements on the page. There's a headline, there's content, there is a potential image, and, and then a button to opt in, right? So there were few enough elements that you can easily separate them out. And when you have that few of elements, each individual element is going to have a huge role in the conversion rate. And so um, now when you, when you take a kind of a step back and you look at testing an entire page design, well, you're talking about potentially dozens of elements on a page. Um, and so when you have dozens of elements on a page, sometimes it is beneficial to change multiple at a time because sometimes each individual element will play such a small role that you almost won't even see the impact unless you change more than one. But when you have, when you have a, a much smaller area that you're testing on, uh, like a pop-up or an opt-in form, and you've only got a few elements to test, each one is going to have a huge impact. So that's why I suggest we do one at a time. It's also much, a much more scientific approach because you can gauge the effect that each individual element has. So right. let's, let's get into the actual test. Like, how do we do a split test here? Because this is what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about, hey, we're just going to go ahead for one week and we're just going to change it and see if it was better than the prior week. We're talking about something a little more sophisticated than that. So kind of explain the concept of the split test. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I, I think you brought up a good point that I want to touch on in just a minute. But um, a, a split test in its essence is you are, you are taking the existing page or the existing form and you're duplicating it. So you're, you're just making a copy of it and then you're going to change something. So uh, on, your, on your duplicated version, you're going to, in this case, add an image. Uh, or on a, on a separate variation, you're going to change an image. Um, but you're basically making an exact copy, an exact, an, an exact replica. We call it a variation. And then you're changing something. And so what that allows you to do is it allows you to run your current site and your changed variation at the same time. So you're going to split traffic between these two variations, which is why it's called a split test. So half of your traffic is going to get one version and half of them are going to get the other one. And that's going to give you a very scientific result that shows how those two designs performed with the exact same traffic during the exact same time period. And that's a very important piece to the puzzle there. Talk, is, yeah, talk about the time period because I think that's important, right? Yeah, and this is something that, that I think you and I actually talked about when we first started working together. I think uh, prior to us working together, you, you were kind of doing what, what a lot of companies do, which is you would make a change on the existing site and then you would compare the results to the, the previous weeks or even the previous months. Um, and, and now the problem with that is that you're not running, you're, you're not testing with the exact same traffic. So last week's traffic is going to be totally different from this week's traffic. And I, I want to zoom in here. This is particularly important for a blogging publication like us because we publish different content every day of the week, you know? Yep. So that content attracts different audiences, right? So it may be that last week we attracted YouTubers and this week it's Facebook audiences, right? Exactly. Or, or, or today it was Facebook and tomorrow it's YouTube. So therefore running slightly longer tests is smart, right? And there's even more than that that goes into it because last week there might have been a, a hurricane in Florida and so a bunch of people are stuck inside and they're all spending time on social media. And so you might have gotten a bunch of, of you know, hurricane shelterees that are visiting the site. 
Uh, and, then, and then this week there's there there's not a big weather storm, so you're not getting that you know. So I mean, there's just a variety of factors that can influence your traffic on a week to week basis, and you you might even have similar conversion rates week over week, and that's the justification I get from a lot of companies. They go, oh well, well our conversion rates are pretty consistent from month to month, um, but again that that doesn't mean that you're always getting the same traffic. It just means that you have relatively similar conversion rates. Um, so how long should we run the test for minimally? Yeah. So I, I always say a minimum of a week. Um, and, and that's usually longer than people want to run tests. Okay. Now let me ask this question though, because like there are some times where you're running a split test where maybe there's two or even three and like there's a obvious difference between one and the other in your two days into the test. And part of you is like, ah, I'm missing out on the one that's doing bad. I want to stop the test. Because I'm uh-huh. losing that, you know, uh, what should we do in that kind of situation? Because everything in me wants to just apply the winner now. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. And in that, you, you have to exercise some self-restraint because you, you I mean. It's going to change I, is what it turns out to, right? It may yes, not be that exactly. way tomorrow. Yeah. You might have a false winner because that happens all the time, um, which is the whole idea behind getting statistical significance in a test. You want to get enough data that you are are very positive that you have a winner because if you if you call the wrong winner you might have, have you could have a long-term pers- negative detriment to the exactly whole. and yeah. and you might be operating under false assumptions for the rest of your testing strategy you might be thinking that something had a positive impact which you might you might change the rest of your strategy to to hinge on that one thing that turned out to actually not even be a positive impact so how do we know we have a winner then What's the statistical significance? Like if we're, if we're talking about percentages here, you know, um, how do we know when we, when we actually have a winner? Yeah. So the, the first thing again, like I mentioned, if you have run it for a minimum of a week of a full seven day week, um, and you have, and you have something that, that, uh, that has been consistently performing better, um, that's kind of the first benchmark. There's also there are statistical significance calculators online. There's a bunch of these, um, and uh, and you can just basically plug your test data into a statistical significance calculator, and it will tell you how statistically significant your result is. And what that just and by the way, if you happen to remember what well, one of those are during this conversation, just chime in because I would love to reference it in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. In fact, Optimizely has a great statistical significance calculator. It will it will ask you how much traffic. Uh, you want how how big of an impact you're going to have, so how big your lift is, and then it will tell you, or it'll tell you exactly how much traffic you need. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, that, and there's like I said, there's a bunch of them where you can just basically plug in the data, and what you want is you want at least a 90% statistical significance. Now, statistical significance doesn't mean everything because you can still have you can have a 90% statistical significance after a day, uh, especially with how much traffic Social Media Examiner gets. Um, you can have a 90% statistical significance in one day. And that's why I also put the caveat in there of, of a minimum of a week. Now, some people, it may take a lot longer than a week. If you get, a, if you get very low amounts of traffic and very low amounts of conversions, you might want to run a test for a month. Um, and by the way, this is where it gets really intriguing because we, we def- we've been doing this about six or seven weeks. And um, just because... You know, so many of us have, especially if we're trying to grow an email list, have many different forms on our website. Just because one form does well with 
an image doesn't mean the other one will. Yep. And yeah. you should talk about that for a second, right? Because context is everything here. Isn't exactly. It? Yeah. And that's and that's exactly the point. So I mean, with Social Media Examiner, you guys have entrance forms. You guys have sliders that slide into the page. You guys have static, uh, you know, opt-in forms that are that are omnipresent when they're on the blog. And then you have exit forms. And in every single one of those cases. The, the, the context in which the user sees them is totally different. And we have and so, separate for mobile too, which is totally different. Exactly. And that's another thing that I wanted to touch on is the mobile experience is totally different than the desktop experience. And when you're driving social media traffic, you're probably going to be getting a lot of mobile traffic. Um, you know, most, most of social media, in, in my experience, it's been something like 75 to 90% of social media traffic is mobile. And so... You, you want to make sure that you test the desktop separate from the mobile. Okay, so up to this point, you know, if we're going to do some split testing, we're going to start with the most basic thing, which is trying images and trying without images and split testing them to see if, if they work. And if, if you're like me, you're going to realize that in some contexts, images work and in others, they don't. And that's, that's what you get from testing. And then you're going to get into colors and... Um, I think that we, we tested colors of the headlines actually in the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, and then eventually went to the colors of the buttons. Does that seem right? Does that seem where, I mean, yep. Yep. Okay. And, and, you know, a simple variation on some of these things can be gargantuous. Um, and then the font size thing is another thing to keep in mind. I mean, you know, you advise that, Hey, on mobile, these font sizes are way too small and we made them bigger and they made all the difference in the world. So once we get past images and colors and font sizes, which is the basics, mm -hmm. you know, where do we go from then? Because there's so many more things that we could test and this is where it gets kind of fun and exciting. Oh yeah. And well, and first just let, let me, let me say how important it is to run every test, no matter how big or how small, because sometimes the smallest tests will have the biggest impact. And so a lot of times I'll have clients that say, I don't want to test the text on a button. That seems like such a cliche and stupid test. Uh, but it has it, it absolutely influences uh, your visitors' behavior, and so you want to make sure that you test everything. Okay, so once we've gotten through some of those basic tests, then we move into some of, like you said, some of the funner stuff, where we're going to look at things like headlines, call to actions, uh, you know, how much copy you have, what the copy actually says, um, you know, things like that, where we're where we're um, optimizing more of the messaging. Right, and and this is this can be really fun uh, because there there's endless combinations that you can that you can use here. And, um, and, and by the way, just 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 to kind of like help everybody understand. So in our case, we started with images and we tested images wherever it made sense. Then we went to colors um, of the headlines that were already in place, and we messed with those and font sizes. And you know, we did like weeks of tests with that. And then um, we got into headlines, right? Because that first sentence that people see on the screen, we ran all sorts of different test variations on those headlines. And at this point, we've already improved our opt-in forms because we've got the images in place. We know what colors work. Now it's a question of just trying a different headline, and that is a big deal. Um, but one of the things that you recommended was copy amount, and I and I th I'd love you to talk about this for a little bit because this is this was kind of an eye opener for me. The amount of text in the actual, you know, offer, if you will. Yeah, and so this is 
<laughs> this can be a really hard thing for, for a lot of people. Um, anytime, especially if you've written the copy yourself, um, it, it can be a little bit challenging to look at it from another perspective. Um, business owners in particular tend to want to say everything there is to say about their offer. Um, and, and so what I usually see is people usually have too much copy. Now, there are cases in which people don't have enough copy. And so what you, what you usually want to just test is, again, how much are you telling these people about the offer? Because if you tell them too much, they might not, read not it. want to read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, exactly. they might be like, I'm not reading that huge block of text. Or the people that do read it might get so much information, information overload, that they, that they lose interest. Right, and so you want to figure out. Okay, should I have a paragraph? Should I have three paragraphs? Uh, should I have one sentence? Um, and then, and then, you know, if you have a paragraph, okay, should it be four sentences? Should it be four bullet points? Should it be, you know, I, so you you want to you want to test different versions of your copy. You could even say the same thing, but break it up in different ways. You know, you know, I, I want to comment on this because this is where it gets really fascinating. I found that, you know, one of the things you recommended was to bullet, come up with some bullets, right? Like uh, simplify, because I had a lot of copy. And in some cases, it made a huge difference. Like on mobile, it made a huge difference. On, I believe, the initial opt-in, it made a huge difference. But then on the um, exit pop-up, it actually didn't help. It made it worse. It was actually better to have more copy as people were leaving the site, surprisingly, in my particular case. Um, the other thing that you recommended was also completely revamping the entire look and feel of some of these opt-in forms. Yep. You want to talk about that for a little bit? Because remember, sure, there's, yeah. like a lot of these things have templates that you just kind of use, right? And sometimes you said, why don't we just completely try some new templates, right? Yeah, and so the first thing to say about that is the reason that I suggest redesigning those types of templates is, is a lot of times there's not, there wasn't a whole lot of thought that went into the design in the first place. And even when there was a whole lot of thought into how it should be designed, it usually wasn't a tested concept. And so I will often suggest redesigning templates like that so that we know that we have a tested and tried template, right? And and so, you know, I mentioned earlier, a lot of times there's, there are a variety of factors that go into how well an opt-in form works. Uh, you know, how well it contrasts the rest of the page, you know, how well people are able to draw context from it. And, you know, and how the design of the, of the opt-in form plays with all of the rest of the design of the site makes a really big deal. And so, you know, some of the suggestions that I made in terms of redesigning we're either simplifying the existing design or helping it to stand out more. Because it, what, what I see a lot of designers do is designers want to make everything work together. And so designers will make everything on a site look the same so that it all kind of flows together. Um, and while that looks really good, a lot of times it doesn't help users visually separate things. Uh, you know, if it all looks the same, then it all blends together. And so when you, when you test some new design concepts, when you test in some new templates, you can kind of shake up the system a little bit and say, okay, well, let's maybe try something that doesn't blend in really well with the rest of our site. Well, you know what's funny is one of the uglier designs that I personally would have never chose just won by a long shot 
you know, on one of my forms. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to dispute the, the data. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and that's why designers a lot of times don't like me. <laughs> now, something else we did, which is kind of fun, is we messed around with the order of, of information. So on our forms, we use uh, social proof. So we, we have the phrase like join 500,000 of your peers. We had historically put that at the end of the copy just before the, um, the ability to put in your information. And on a whim, I just decided to put it first on a couple things. And sure enough, in some contexts, having it first made a big difference. So it's not just, it's not just um, how you actually format your copy, but sometimes it's even rearranging some of the things that are inside there. I mean, you know, and if your head is starting to spin, it should, <laughs> because there really is no end, is there? No, there's not. And and the, the best part about this, Michael, and I think the thing that has gotten me really excited as we've worked together is as you start to see new things work, it, it becomes more and more fun. I mean, it gets really exciting to go, wow, I, like, I never would have expected that to work. And you start to learn something about your audience. You start to learn that maybe some of the assumptions you've had about your audience all along are wrong. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's how you reinvent yourself as a marketer is is by, uh, you know, breaking down some of your former assumptions and finding things that are, that are working now. Some of the things that uh, I've experimented with in the past are these yes, no, um, yes, I want the data, no, I don't want the data. Can you talk a little bit about why that works? Because I was kind of shocked to see that in many situations it does work. It doesn't in all, but it definitely does in some. Absolutely, yeah. So you're talking about, and what, what what Michael's talking about is the is the text that is on a button um, saying whether or not you want to opt in to an offer. So, Versus just putting the actual fields to opt in. Right. Exactly. So what what that kind of does is it it accomplishes a couple of different goals. Number one, it allows the user to feel like they're taking control of the experience. So they feel like they are making the choice as to whether or not they see the form. And so when they do see the form, they have already bought into it mentally. And so they are more willing to fill it out than if it's just already appearing. What it also does is for people that immediately, there's, there's a percentage of the population that immediately want to reject anything that feels like an offer. And so for that percentage of the population that immediately wants to say no, if you have a field there that that says no and they feel like they have to click on it, it, it can cause them to second guess and go, wait a second, what am I saying no to? Instead of, uh, instead of them just immediately looking for the box to X out of the offer. Right? And there's a lot of different ways that you can language uh, those fields. And I think that's probably where you're going with this is there, there's different ways that you can get people to buy in or get people to say no that really impacts, um, that really impacts their experience. You know, so for example, on the yes field, you could just say, uh, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people will probably just use the standard text that's on there, like continue or, uh, or yes. And so if you use some more possessive language, like, yes, I want to see this, or yes, I want to learn more about whatever, it, you know, whatever. Yeah, it and I be. think in our, our case, it says, yes, send me the report or something. Yes, yes, send me the report, right? Some of that. Or yes, I want the report or something, I think it says, yeah. Yeah, and so it can help them mentally. Again, it can, it can enhance their mental buy-in. And similarly, the no field, if you say, you could just say no or don't show me this. Or you could say, you know, some, some more things like, no, I, I, 
Um, I don't want to learn more. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to learn more about social media. I don't want to uh, get the latest information. Um, And again, that can also help accomplish that goal of getting people to think twice before they they say no. Because they might go, oh, wait, wait, wait. I I want the latest information. I I better know what it is I'm saying no to. Well, Chris... First of all, I love doing this. And for everybody who's listening, I actually set a reminder on my calendar every week and I spend about a half an hour reviewing kind of the Petri dish of the results of all my split tests. And then what I do is I schedule the next week's split test. And I just I just love looking at the metrics and seeing how the number of subscribers is going up directly as a result of running all of these tests. It, and it's not rocket science, but there are a million things that you can test. And if you're looking for help, Chris is the dude. So Chris, why don't you tell everybody where they can discover more about you and everything you've got going on? Absolutely. And, we, and we've actually put together a, a special offer for your audience um, that, that I can just highlight real quick. So I mean, if you want a little bit more information, because we didn't have, a t- have time to cover everything, um, we've put together a, an A-B testing starter guide for, for social media. Uh, that you can get if you go to disruptiveadvertising.com slash examiner. Um, there's just a, a simple opt-in form, and then you can download uh, the, the starter guide there. And it, it will go through all kinds of things, like what kind of tools you should be using, how, uh, you know, what kind of ideas you can test, um, you know, where, where you start, what, and, and then some of the basics, like what is a test and how is this going to work on my site. Um, and then if people want to find more information about me or follow me, uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris Daly. Um, spell so spell that for everyone so they know. It, yeah, sorry. It's it's Chris, and then my last name is D-A-Y-L-E-Y. Awesome. Uh, Chris Daly. Uh, so you can get the free ebook at disruptiveadvertising.com slash examiner or find Chris on Twitter. Chris, thank you, first of all, so much for... Uh, bringing your insight and knowledge to our audience. And it's my great hope that a lot of people will rewind this, listen to it again, go look at the show notes and actually begin testing. And if it works, let us know in the show notes. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me today. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in this episode. There was a lot we talked about. And if you just didn't catch it all, well, don't worry. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash 222 stands for episode 222. Also, new to the show, hit that subscribe button. I don't want you to miss these amazing episodes we've got lined up. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.